calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning and welcome to the Washington Post. I'm David Shipley, editorial page editor here. It's only been a few hours since Vladimir Kormurza was sentenced to 25 years in prison. As Bill Browder wrote this morning, the harshest political sentence since Stalin's time. We are humbled to have his wife, Evgenia, and his defense attorney, Vadim Prokhorov, with us today following the news. Evgenia, Vadim, welcome. And Evgenia, let's start with you um, and your reaction to the sentencing. I'm going to read a moving tweet that you sent out this morning. A quarter of a century is an A-plus for your courage, consistency, and honesty in your years-long work. I'm infinitely proud of you, my love, and I'm always by your side. What are your reactions? My reaction is uh, exactly what you read. I am very lucky to be sharing my life with someone I don't ever have to be ashamed of, uh, with someone I'm always proud of, someone I deeply admire and deeply respect, someone uh, who is serving as the best example to our kids. I am very, I'm a very lucky woman. Um, and I understand that this, um, this sentence is the high recognition of the effectiveness of Vladimir's work. He has proven time and again that he would not back down, that he would not abandon his fight, that he would not betray his country and betray his ideals, that he would keep on fighting. And this sentence shows that they're so afraid of him and they hate him so much for his consistency, for his courage, for his, for his amazing bravery. They're so afraid of him and they hate him so much that they want to lock him up for a quarter of a century. What is, what is this fight about? A Russia that we all want to see. And what Russia is that? A Russia where human rights are being respected. A Russia where um, the government does not persecute uh, its own citizens for, um, for opposing the official narrative. A country that does not represent a threat to its closest neighbors and to the world in general. A Russia, a free Russia, a democratic Russia, a Russia where our kids can live um, knowing that there is no risk to their lives uh, or to the lives of their father, to the life of their father. 
This is a Russia that we all want to see and uh, this is the only Russia that will stop being a threat to itself and its neighbors. How, how have you talked to your kids about their father's arrest and trial? Um, well, our kids have been living with, with this for years. They have been growing up with this. Uh, when Vladimir was poisoned for the first time, our oldest daughter was only nine years old. When he was poisoned for the second time, she was 11. Now our youngest one, our son, is 11, and his father was just sentenced to five, 25 years of strict regime. Uh, so our kids have long understood who their father is, and they, they know exactly who the, their father is, and they know that the entire world is, admires his bravery and stands with him. So I think that it keeps them... Uh, I'm, I'm sure that it helps them. Uh, it, this is absolutely nightmarish, what we're going through as a family. But it is also absolutely nightmarish what we're going through as a country. The Russian state has made Russia a country aggressor. Well, let me talk about the state for a second. Vadim, it's his attorney. What were you expecting out of Moscow? And maybe you can tell us about the court that Judge Vladimir. And then do either of you think there was a situation under which he could have gotten a fair trial? Uh, so it's necessary to say, to claim, that the, uh, the criminal case against him uh, was nothing to do with uh, justice from, just from the beginning. It was absolutely unlawfully initiated, absolutely unlawfully investigated. The hearings at the, co at, uh, at the court uh, were absolutely uh, illegal also because they uh, were held behind closed doors. It's absolutely illegal even for the cases uh, on the accusation of state treason in Russia, because in fact, there were no any secret documents, nothing. There uh, was about 37 pages in one of the volumes, in the fifth volume, any, any information that uh, FSB uh, thinks about, uh, about his activity, something like this. It's not, in fact, it's not state secret. But it was the reason, the formal, absolutely formal reason, to claim this uh, hearing uh, behind closed doors, without any visitors, without any journalists, who were waiting for us, his lawyers, uh, just near the entrance to the court. And it was, very, uh, it was absolutely illegal, even for our legal system, contemporary legal system. Uh, I think that, uh, so there was, uh, strong violence of, uh, of uh, his uh, freedom to defense. Because our uh, requests to attach any international documents, uh, documents of the international organizations, uh, which Russia is still the member of, uh, for example, the documents of the United Nations, the documents of uh, OSCE, uh, and so on, about um, the crimes, military crimes of uh, Mm, uh, Russian uh, military forces in Ukraine, 
or about the illegal character of the, the new uh, of the new laws which have been held against uh, against uh, Vladimir. Uh, all of our requests have been uh, refused, unfortunately, by the chairman uh, judge. And much more, there is a very interesting fact that the chairman of, of the judge's board, I mean, Mr. Uh, Sergei Podoprigorov, who was the senior judge mm -hmm. in this case, <laughs> he, was in, uh, he was included into Magnitsky Act, into Magnitsky List, yep. and everybody knows that Vladimir himself is one of the main initiators and promoters of Magnitsky Act. So it's very difficult to imagine more conflict of interest yeah. in comparison with such a situation. But our protests against this situation have been declined by the other judges. So I think that uh, this uh, case uh, ha had nothing to do with uh, justice. It's just a political revenge against Vladimir uh, caused his uh, political activity. It's, uh, we could uh, claim that uh, just now he's the <coughs> most prominent mm -hmm. political uh, mm -hmm. opposition leader in Russia, and uh, uh, he's a political prisoner, there's no, there's no doubt. You, um, you saw him most recently uh, of, of anyone. Can, can you tell us about his current condition? You mean uh, about his health? Yes. Yeah, it's a, I think it's the main problem because as uh, Evgeny has, uh, has told already, he was, he was twice poisoned. Uh, in May of 15 and in February of 17, uh, and uh, caused, we think that cost of his, uh, on his political activity, this poison, uh, poisons uh, have been caused by his political activity against Putin's regime. And as the consequence of these uh, two poisons, there is a very strong uh, disease, polyneuropathia. It's a very, 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 very difficult, very strong disease, and this, uh, this disease is even included into the list of the diseases which are uh, in contradiction with uh, the ability to uh, to be to be punished to the prison. But it uh, it's no concerns to our authorities, and uh, unfortunately, the, his health has been worsened. Yeah. In, uh, during his uh, uh, during his appearance in in in, uh, in pretension uh, in pretrial det uh, detention center in uh, in the north west of Moscow, and uh, unfortunately this disease is uh, difficult to treat even in freedom, and moreover it's absolutely difficult. It's maybe impossible to to treat uh, in the conditions of the prison. Yeah. And so just now it's uh, possible to claim that uh, uh, these uh, long years uh, prison, uh, imprisonment for him is quite some kind of death penalty. Yeah. It's necessary to struggle for his release. It is hard to imagine that, that prison doesn't drain your health at a high rate. Um, yeah. Absolutely. What state is he in, Evgenia? How, how, how much can he survive? Well, Vladimir has always been a very strong person, so um, he remains a very strong person inside. Uh, his uh, strength is uh, absolutely amazing. Um, but of course, uh, those uh, poisonings have uh, definitely affected his health in a very bad way. 
and uh, the fact that after a year of pretrial detention and some time that he spent in solitary confinement, those uh, polyneuropathy symptoms not just returned, but now seem to be spreading to his right side. Uh, this, you know, polyneuropathy can meet, can lead to paralysis, and the symptoms are spreading. So I do realize that he doesn't have five years, let alone 25. Uh, for Vladimir, you know, those, uh, um, his uh, physical state has never been an impediment to him continuing his work. In 2015, after the first poisoning, as soon as he could stand and walk, he took his cane and wobbled back to Moscow. In 2017, he did the same thing after going through physical rehabilitation here in the United States. Right away, when he was cleared by the medics, he went back. Yeah. So I know that, you know, over this year in pretrial detention, he has never mentioned uh, anything about his physical state to me in his letters. He talked about other things, and he was actually worried about me and the kids. You know, the man who was facing a 25-year prison sentence. Uh, a man who's already dragging both his feet because of those symptoms, polyneuropathy symptoms. He was saying how worried he was about the kids and me. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of that uh, earlier clip that was shown about his willingness to go back. Um, a stubborn man. <laughs> how did you react? Well, when I married the guy 20 years ago, he was the same. Yeah. <laughs> so nothing much changed. I mean, it's just, uh, it, wouldn't, it would have been very weird for me to suddenly start saying that now is the time to drop it. Yeah. You know, now is the time to give up. Uh, I, I realize that the risks are very high. Mm. That nightmare not just approached our home, it went in and stayed in 2015 when first Boris Nemtsov was assassinated, uh, Vladimir's close friend and colleague and uh, godfather of our second daughter, younger daughter. And then only three months after that, Vladimir was poisoned for the first time. Our kids saw their father in a coma and then unable to walk for months after poisoning, twice in two years. But um, I do admire him for his position. He gives so much strength to people around him, even from behind bars. Many people over this year have been writing to me saying how inspiring Vladimir is from behind bars, dragging his feet. He still inspires. So how could I? How could I tell him to give up on his fight? How can I tell to someone like this to give up? Yeah. No, I will stand by his side for as long as it takes me. I am proud of my husband. I am. Can, um, Hirnet, can you speak more broadly about the state of political prisoners in Russia today and how Vladimir is illustrative of what's going on at a, at a, at a practical level. Um, what would make one a target? Um, 
What is the, the wider scope of repression in Russia today? You know, you, <clears throat> you asked um, a very good question. You said, what can make one a target? Anything. You go out blank in the street with a blank piece of paper, you go to prison for up to, what, 15 years? You go out with a copy of Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace, you go to prison. You exchange price tags at a local supermarket with information about the war in Ukraine, like Alexander Skochilenko did, a young artist from St. Petersburg. She went to prison. Uh, or, for example, you make a post about the bombings of the theater in Mariupol, like Maria Ponomarenko did. You go to prison. You draw an anti-war picture at school. The police will come to your house, arrest your parents, and deprive them of parental rights, like it happened to um, Maria and Alexei Moskalov. She was uh, the girl, you know, she's, she was 12 when she drew that picture at school, made that drawing at school. Our son is 11. He brings very similar drawings from school of Ukrainian soldiers, of uh, uh, Ukrainian kids. I'm proud of him for doing that. And Alexei is also proud of his daughter. But when she did this, the police came to their house. They beat him up. They initiated a criminal case against him. They put uh, Masha in an orphanage and deprived her of any contact with the outside world. And the uh, authorities are now, uh, well, the criminal case against Alexei is ongoing. He's already been sentenced to two years, but they might add some time to that. And, uh, uh, and Masha, well, the authorities are now in the process of deliberating whether to deprive Alexei of parental rights, because according to the Russian authorities, he is unable to raise a strong Russian patriot, apparently. Over 20,000 people have been detained across the country in 78 regions at least, according to Ovidinfo, um, an independent media project on political persecution in Russia. There are over 500 criminal cases against people for protesting against the war. Uh, there are thousands uh, over 10,000 cases, administrative cases, initiated against protesters. And uh, in Russia, an administrative case is very often just a step before the authorities initiate a criminal case against you. I mean, it's hard to think about what this does to a generation of young people. Uh, well, now the uh, uh, Russian schools, each week at Russian schools, begins with a lesson about what's important. So basically, very uh, heavily ideology-heavy uh, ideology lesson about patriotism, about Nazis in Ukraine, or is it Satan now? I, I don't, I, I've lost the, you know, the, the uh, narrative has been changing mm -hmm. over these months. So it was, uh, it was Nazis in the beginning that at some point Medvedev talked about Satan and uh, that there were other things as well. So um, whoever the, it is, they're fighting now, you know, but the kids are being told about what's important. 
about how they should be good Russian patriots, about what it means to be a good Russian patriot. And that means telling on your schoolmates if you notice that they're doing something that contradicts the official narrative. It means telling on your parents. It means supporting uh, the Russian government and its policies. It means not questioning anything, taking everything, taking all the state-controlled information, that propaganda, as a given. So this is what the regime is trying to do to the new generation. But you know, it's, uh, uh, they're doing the same with Ukrainian kids. They've stolen over 20,000 Ukrainian kids and brought them to Russia to be, again, educated as strong Russian patriots. There is, um, you know, consistent with that is a, is a broadening of, of other approaches of repression, Vadim. And there are a number of Americans or people with ties to the United States who've been wrongfully detained recently. Uh, Evan Gerskovich, uh, Brittany Griner, Paul Whelan. Um, is there a correlation, you think, Vadim, between these prisoners and Vladimir? So I think that uh, uh, there is no doubt that uh, Vladimir is a political prisoner in, uh, in Russia. Uh, he has claimed as a political prisoner by a very influential uh, human rights organizations, for example, as Amnesty International and as Memorial. And there is no doubt that only reason of his detention is his political activities. Uh, has at, the uh, uh, at the same time, he's, uh, he has a twin citizenship. He, he is also a UK citizen, but unfortunately, the Russian authorities uh, uh, do not concern to this, uh, to this subject. So is, is an appeal possible? Yeah. Uh, they, they claim that uh, from, the, uh, from their point of view, uh, he's only a Russian citizen. And in fact, in fact he's a real Russian uh, politician. Uh, and uh, also he, he lives in Russia and in US. And um, so I can say that uh, he is, uh, he's, he's historian. He's a historian, he has a brilliant education at uh, Trinity College of Cambridge. And one of his uh, favorite periods in the history of our country, uh, there is a period, or period of, uh, of the 70s and 80s in the history of the Soviet dissidents. And uh, the lives of uh, some uh, prominent Soviet dissidents have been uh, saved by the international swap, international exchange. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, our friend, his uh, Vladimir's uh, friend Vladimir Bukovsky, who was a prominent uh, Soviet uh, dissident, was changed in uh, December of seventy of seventy six. There was a change between Chile, uh, Chilean Communist Party leader Luis Carvalan was changed by um, Vladimir Bukovsky as a prominent Soviet uh, dissident. Uh, so there are several examples of this uh, of this uh, international exchange. W would you accept a swap? Yeah, and I think that maybe it's a. Uh, it's no. It's not so matter the um, uh, uh, just uh, his uh, pre, uh, prison sentence, twenty years or twenty two years or maybe twenty five years. His uh, health is uh, quite poor just now, 
and it's very, uh, very dangerous for him anyway. And so I think that it's necessary for international society, international community, for international public diplomacy uh, to think about, uh, about the, histor the history of uh, the Soviet dissidents' uh, movement mm -hmm. and to think, uh, think about these things. If, Kenny, I want to come back to something that you were saying about in your description of the regime. Um, because regimes do fall. Um, they do come to an end. It happened once before. Um, but how do you rebuild or build democracy after regime collapse in a sustainable way? And create systems that are resilient. Um, is there any chance for a rebirth of the 1990s in Russia? Well, there is uh, always a chance. You know, I'm not a politician. I'm not a political expert. Uh, if Vladimir were here, he'd give you a very long, detailed program for tomorrow's Russia. He would point out what exact mistakes were made in the 1990s and how they could be avoided in the future. He would just be... Um, this is also why it is so important to save people like this, because in order to have that democratic Russia, we need to make sure that the people who understand the situation, who know what's happening, and who, uh, despite all the risks, continue fighting this monstrous regime, somehow survive now. Uh, because they're going to be the ones willing to undertake the huge task of rebuilding a country from ruins of the Putin regime. And, uh, well, I do understand that a very important thing will have to be done, and that is um, some, uh, we will have to reflect and understand uh, everything that has been done by the regime, and not just Putin's regime, but the Soviet as well. The crimes that were committed by dictatorships. Uh, we need that reckoning with the past will be absolutely essential to to building a democratic Russia. Without that um, recognition of the past crimes, without understanding and contrition, we cannot move forward. That I certainly understand. And I also understand that um, the, society, the, the state in which society, Russian society is today is the result of a very consistent state policy. You know, that destruction of social institutes, that destructions of uh, freedoms in the country. That is not, of course, a healthy society, but this is the result of a very consistent policy that has been implemented for decades in our country. This is, we're talking about society that has been deprived of any democratic freedom that is guaranteed to Russian citizens by the Russian constitution. But there is no freedom of speech, no freedom of assembly, no freedom of association, no free media, no free and fair elections, nothing. So yes, there will, we will have to carry out a huge work trying to change that, to rebuild those institutions, to rebuild a system of checks and balances, uh, to um, 
and yes, to understand what had been done by the regimes in the past, very often with the silent complicity of the people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine impunity or Putin's impunity taking place overnight. This is something that has built up over years. What, what responsibility do we outside Russia have to, because we have some, we played some role in that. Um, what role did we play and how should we think about our relations with Russia? Um, well, the uh, uh, terrible aggressive war against Ukraine is indeed the result of over two decades of impunity that Vladimir Putin has endured while committing very similar crimes with no consequences for himself or the regime that he's built. He's already invaded territories of sovereign states before. He invaded Georgia in 2008. He annexed Crimea in 2014. He already, his regime, his government already committed war crimes before in Chechnya and in Syria. He violently squashed peaceful protests over the years in Russia, time and again, sending people to prisons with absolutely mind-boggling sentences. All of that has never received any appropriate reaction from the Western democratic society. Never. So emboldened by this continuous impunity, Vladimir Putin decided that he could get away with anything. And he launched this war of aggression that has resulted in a, in a humanitarian catastrophe, unthinkable humanitarian catastrophe. Over 8 million refugees, uh, hundreds of kids dead, killed, thousands of them stolen, thousands and thousands of civilians killed, just... So, yeah, um, this is definitely the result of the uh, over two uh, decades of impunity of Vladimir Putin's regime. And in order to stop this, this impunity has to stop, first of all. Vladimir Putin needs to realize that he will not be allowed to get away with anything like this anymore in the future. And I believe that a very strong uh, signal of that would be helping Ukraine to the full extent so that it can win this war on its own terms. I believe that this is crucial because if this regime is allowed to represent anything like the victory in this war, it will only continue. It will regroup and attack again. Might be Moldova next time, one of the Baltic states. I don't know, he's got a choice in that region because he believes that it's all his. He's restoring the Soviet Union. Uh, so he cannot get away with committing those crimes anymore. He has to be shown that this, he will be stopped. And uh, the, the victory on Ukraine's terms means that Russian soldiers, every single Russian soldier, has to leave the Ukrainian territory, including the illegally occupied zones. Mm -hmm. This will send a clear signal to the government in Moscow that it will not be allowed to get away with committing those crimes. And it will also send a very clear signal to other dictators of the world who are watching because this is what they do. These dictatorships, they watch each other and learn from each other and see how far they can go without being punished. But um, on that, Vadim, you know, uh, reporting the basic 
act of journalism is a small part of um, accountability on reporting, on um, countering impunity. Um, what do you want other journalists and media executives to know about the fight to protect journalism in Russia and free speech in general? So it seems to me that uh, it's a quite uh, difficult situation because uh, a lot of journalists are under attack in our country. And uh, a uh, some of my colleagues, lawyers, try, try to help them. And uh, you could see that some of them are uh, even are arrested. And just the, there is an example of when American journalist has been arrested even in, uh, in Yekaterinburg. And uh, so it's uh, absolutely, it was done by purpose, uh, by Putin's regime, but uh, it's uh, absolutely uh, real steps against freedom of, uh, freedom of speech, as uh, Evgenia has said already. And uh, so there are a few brave journalists in, in Russia who are going to make their activity. Uh, I think that Vladimir Karamurza, he's a politician, but he's a journalist also, and he, he is a son of a famous journalist. He is a famous journalist himself. He, he's a, uh, he has a column in, uh, in Washington Post, and uh, he's very proud of it. And uh, so I think that uh, it's necessary to struggle for the freedom of speech. And by the way, for the freedom of defense, because some of the lawyers are also mm -hmm. under attack just now. They are threatened, and uh, it's, it's not quite uh, easy to make their own job, their own uh, duty as uh, lawyers and as a journalist. And so I think that uh, it's one of the most necessary goals, uh, tasks to try to try to defend journalism in in, in Moscow yeah. and to try to def defend their right to be defend, uh, right to defense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, these are very different cases of Genya. Um But uh, the Wall Street Journal's uh, Evan Gershkovich has been detained and accused of espionage. It's, as Zavadim mentioned, Vladimir's father was a journalist. Um, What's your message to the Gershkovitz family and to um, Evan's colleagues at the Wall Street Journal? Uh, well, my message, I think, is uh, that they should be, uh, and I think they are, proud of their son or husband or partner. Uh, because, uh, you know, um, just uh, a couple of days ago, I spoke to a few journalists who interviewed me from Russia. They, uh, um, they were journalists representing different media, but who decided, chose to stay in Russia even after the arrest of Evan Gershkovich. And uh, because they told me that they believed it was their duty to report about the situation from the ground. Because they said that everything that is being said about Russia from the outside you know, that, that look from the outside is always slightly warped. Being on the ground, they see how the situation develops. Being on the ground, they see what repressions are actually going on in the country. They see what, uh, how harshly and fiercely the authorities are fighting any kind of dissent. Mm -hmm. And they believe it is their duty to remain in the country for as long as they can to report on that. And I was 
awed by this. I was, I could not even express my admiration for their courage and for their, for their work. So I, um, I believe that journalism today is just as important as any time, but in a situation uh, in which we are today in Russia, their work is hugely important. The remaining three independent media in Russia, the, uh, Dosh TV, Echo of Moscow radio station, and Nove Gazeta have all been closed down uh, in March, very shortly after the full-scale invasion had broken out. Over uh, 20, uh, no, over 200,000 um, online media resources have been blocked by the authorities and all social media platforms have been blocked by the authorities in Russia to isolate the Russian population from any kind of independent information about what was going on in Ukraine, what is going on in the country. And uh, so the entire media space has been basically cleansed by the regime. And it is, you know, I think that the fact that last year Russia placed second worldwide by the number of VPN services installed in the country shows that there is a huge demand for independent information and that demand needs to be met and it is met by those specific journalists who continue the work from both inside and outside of the country. Hundreds uh, of Russian journalists were forced to leave and they continue on, the work. On that encouraging note that maybe today marks some sort of a beginning even though there is a lot of hardness associated with it. Um, I want to thank you both um, for coming. And I want to thank everyone here for joining us today. Uh, to learn more about the Washington Post Press Freedom Partnership, please go to WashingtonPost.com slash Press Freedom. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.